Good morning. My name is Shelby and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Royal Caribbean Group's Business Update and Fourth Quarter 2020 Earnings Call. All participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. I would now like to introduce Chief Financial Officer, Mr. Jason Liberty. Mr. Liberty, the floor is yours. Thank you, Shelby. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us today for our business update and fourth quarter earnings call. Joining me are Richard Fain, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Michael Bailey, President and CEO of World Caribbean International, and Carola Mangolini, our Vice President of Investor Relations. During this call, we will be referring to a few slides which have been posted on our investor website, www.rcinvestor.com. Before we get started, I would like to refer you to our notice about forward-looking statements, which is on our first slide. During this call, we will be making comments that are forward-looking. These statements do not guarantee future performance and do involve risks and uncertainties. Examples are described in our SEC filings and other disclosures. Please note that we do not undertake to update the information in our filings as circumstances change. Also, we will be discussing certain non-GAAP financial measures, which are adjusted as defined, and a reconciliation of all non-GAAP historical items can be found on our website. Richard will begin by providing a strategic overview of the business. I will follow up with a recap of our fourth quarter and full year 2020 results. I will then provide an update on our latest liquidity actions and on the booking environment. We will then open up the call for your questions. Richard. Uh, thanks, Jason, and good morning, everyone. Even though it's uh, late February, I still want to say Happy New Year because uh, I expect that this year will be so much better in so many ways than the last year. At the same time, it's hard to believe that we're only seven weeks into 2021 because so much has already happened. It's been very intense for the last month and a half. And because things are happening so quickly, I think it's a good time to take a moment to review what we at the Royal Caribbean Group have been doing over the past year to adjust to the realities of the pandemic in the United States and wherever we sail and wherever we operate around the world. As we've summarized on slide two, 2020 was an unprecedented year in which our teams took on and accomplished actions that were unthinkable just 12 months ago. I think that there was not one job that stayed the same. In a few months, um, our teams moved our whole fleet into layup, repatriated more than 45,000 crew members to their hundreds of home countries, restructured our workforce, implemented new credit programs for our guests, took care of our travel agents, and raised billions of dollars in new capital, all while working from home. It's been incredibly challenging, but everybody seemed to rise to the occasion. Now, the most important point to keep in mind is that while most of our ships are still sitting idle, and while we've suspended most of our global operations through April, uh, at least through April, our company has also been moving ahead to create the conditions and to prepare for a healthy return to sailing. As we continue to navigate this crisis, we've made continued progress on many fronts, as noted on slide three. I want to especially speak about how we're engaging with various stakeholders, particularly governments and other actors in the travel industry, to ensure that we can ramp up and restart quickly. I'll let Jason talk about the initiatives that we've taken on the finance side. First, let me recall what we've accomplished with our healthy sale panel of medical, public health, maritime, biosecurity, and other experts. We've taken their 74 recommendations for a healthy return to service as the basis for over 2,000 separate protocols, from passenger testing before sailing, to physical distancing on board, to disembarkation of COVID, COVID symptomatic persons, all of these things will give our guests, our crew, and the destinations the confidence that the environment on the Royal Caribbean, Celebrity, Silver Sea, or Tui ship is safer than a walk down Main Street. We know that we not only need to provide an environment that protects our guests from COVID, but also works to protect all of our people from having their vacations disrupted due to an isolated case. At the same time, we have to recognize that the panel's recommendations were, were intended to address a pre-vaccine environment. 
A lot has occurred over the last four months since their report was submitted, not the least of which is that we're regularly vaccinating over a million and a half people a day here in the United States and many elsewhere as well. And so we continue to work with the panel led by Governor Mike Levitt and Dr. Scott Gottlieb to identify the safest pathway forward in the new post-vaccine environment when we can protect our guests and crew as never before. And these conversations and the conclusions we draw from them will inform and advance our dialogue with governments around the world, including the CDC under its new leadership. At the same time, I believe strongly in the power of positive example. And in Singapore, we have a good one on how we can safely resume cruising while giving our guests the fun fill experience they expect. We've been operating there since early December. And even before that, we've had successful operations, which continue now in Germany and Canary Islands, Greece, and the Middle East. These early returns to service not only provide vacations, but they provide an opportunity to demonstrate proof of concept as well. These early cruises provide valuable information about the best way to design and implement our health and safety protocols. They provide important learnings on how we can coordinate most effectively with governments, port authorities, travel partners, and others to protect our guests, crew, and the destinations we visit. These early cruises have also given us the opportunity to design new attractive itineraries where we can better control the experience. Now, after 11 months of pandemic, I think we all know that COVID fatigue is real. People are clamoring for the opportunity to have experience outside their homes. Every day we see signs that people want to get out and get away. And once we're able to reopen and restart more broadly, we'll be ready to, to respond with our best-in-class hardware, including our new buildings, Odyssey of the Seas, Celebrity Apex, and Silver Moon, and our exclusive private destinations like Perfect Day at Coco Cay. Before I hand off to Jason, I do want to brag on our team just a little bit. Again, the dedication, commitment, and the integrity of our employees throughout this very difficult period has been exceptional, and their individual and combined contributions have been extraordinary. I am impressed every day by what they do. I also want to give a shout out to our loyal and committed travel partners for their ongoing support and to our investors for their trust. So thank you all. And now I'd like to turn it back over to Jason. Jason? Great. Thank you, Richard. This morning, we reported an adjusted net loss of $1.1 billion for the fourth quarter of 2020 and a $3.9 billion for the full year. Due to the suspension of our global operations, we were able to operate only 20% of the revenue cruises initially expected in our February 2020 guidance. This simple stat reflects the staggering impact that the pandemic brought to our company and the whole industry during 2020. In the fourth quarter, we were able to reduce our quarterly cruise operating expenses by more than 80% from $1.5 billion in Q4 of 2019 to $265 million in Q4 of 2020. We achieved this by expeditiously laying up our fleet and be, becoming extremely diligent, disciplined, and agile in controlling our costs. Something similar can be said about our general capex, which we were reduced by approximately 55% between 2020 and 2021. I am incredibly grateful for the efforts from the entire corporation in managing through the toughest year in our history. From a financial standpoint, our top priority remains ensuring that we are in a strong liquidity position. While reducing our cash burn was and still is critical, another crucial liquidity action is accessing capital prudently and opportunistically while also managing our liabilities and our banking partners with our banking partners and export credit agencies. Since we suspended our global cruise operations, we have raised about $9.3 billion in new capital and have secured agreements to defer almost $2 billion of ship-related debt through the spring of 2022. These later efforts are reducing our expected debt maturities for 2021 to approximately $400 million. These successful transactions and negotiations were possible due to the strength of our brands, the relevancy of our product, and the great relationships that were built during decades of collaborative work with banks, shipyards, and vendors. I also want to highlight that this superb outcome was a huge undertaking executed by our amazing finance, legal, and accounting teams. 
Now, regarding our current liquidity position, we closed the, we closed the 2020 fiscal year with $4.4 billion in available liquidity. We remain focused on further improving this position while also managing our, our operating and capital expenditures to ensure that our family and brands are well positioned for the return to service. I will stress that as we return to service and stabilize our operations, our, our cash flow will be primarily driven, our cash will be the primary driver to delever our balance sheet, return to investment grade, and create great shareholder value. As it pertains to our cash spend for the fourth quarter, or during the fourth quarter, we spent approximately $1.3 billion, which includes the payment of approximately $300 million of bond that matured in November and approximately $180 million from collateral postings, commissions, and financing fees. When excluding these, our average cash burn rate was on the lower end of our previously announced range, driven by the phenomenal diligence of our teams and some timing. Furthermore, this morning we reaffirmed that the cash burn will be, on average, in the range of approximately $250 million to $290 million per month during a prolonged suspension of operations. Over the last year, we have executed several measures to structurally reduce our cost base, realign our capital allocation, and improve our scale and margins. Besides reducing our G&A expenses and streamlining procurement efforts, we successfully divested three of our oldest ships and entered into a definitive agreement to sell our Azamara brand. Reshaping our fleet's efficiency and the corporation's cost structure will help accelerate our margins by improving our operating leverage as we return to service. I will highlight that when we return to service and start to rev up our sales, we expect that customer deposits and cash flows from operations will further improve our cash position. At the same time, ramping up our business will also include startup costs that relate to crewing our ships our ships, health and safety protocols, and increased sales and marketing activities. Because the environment is still very fluid, we are not able to provide further guidance or commentary on these figures. I will now provide an update on the booking environment and our capacity. While bookings remain below historical levels, we have been constantly impressed and humbled with the number of cruises booked throughout this extended out-of-service period. It's clear that a lot of people want to cruise, and we can't wait to welcome them back on board our amazing brands and ships. Clearly, 2021 is not going to be a traditional year, and to this end, we did not plan for a traditional wave season, and therefore, our sales and marketing activities still remain anemic and extremely strategic. Currently, we don't expect to broadly ramp up our marketing until more ships come back into operation. Despite the lack of marketing spend, we have seen a 30% increase in new bookings since the beginning of the year when compared to November and December. Our lift and shift and future cruise credit programs have been very successful in both preserving cash and driving demand for future periods. Having said this, I will highlight that from a cumulative standpoint, almost 75% of our book business is new and not related to rebooking activities. The cumulative book position for sailings in the second half of 2021 is aligned with our expectations in terms of resumption of cruising with pricing higher than 2019, both including and excluding the dilutive impact of future cruise credits. It is probably too early in the booking window to talk too much about 2022, but behavior to date is quite similar to booking activities in previous years. Our book position for the first half of 2022 is within historical ranges at higher average prices. As I noted, we are not expecting a traditional wave season. However, we did see a similar increase in 2022 bookings over the past six weeks to increases seen in prior years. We think that this is a very, that this is very encouraging stat giving our muted sales and marketing efforts. Regarding our deployment, we are not ready to announce any specific surrounding the cadence with which we will be bringing our fleet back into service. Currently, we have canceled sailings on most of our ships through the end of April. Our brands operate in multiple markets around the globe. Therefore, the timing and pace of the ramp up in capacity will likely vary by region based on local conditions. We are already operating quantum of the seas in Singapore and our second shift in the water could also be outside of the US. 
We're also using the learnings from Singapore as well as from our TUI Cruises joint venture, who has had ships sailing in Europe and the Canary Islands since August and November, which is helping us in, 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 um, inform on how, we, how, how, how the ships will return uh, to service. Our customer deposit balance at the end of December 2020 was $1.8 billion. This is relatively equal to the balances reported both at the end of September and at the end of June. We were able to maintain a similar customer deposit balance for six months despite the suspension of approximately 1,100 sailings because of the deposits collected on new bookings and the success of our future cruise certificates and lift and shift options. Just over half the guests who, booked, who were booked on canceled sailings have requested a cash refund, with the other half either holding an FCC or lifting and shifting their booking to a future cruise. Also, approximately half of our customer deposit balance is associated with FCCs. And moreover, about 30% of the overall balance is non-refundable. As it pertains to our expectations for 2021, I will note that the timing and trajectory of the recovery remains uncertain, and we are therefore unable to provide further guidance for the year. We do expect, however, to incur a net loss on both a U.S. GAAP and an adjusted basis for the first quarter and the full year of 2021. The magnitude of the loss will depend on many factors, including the timing and extent of our return to service. I will close my remarks by saying that we are clearly focused on what we can control. But as the vaccine distribution continues to accelerate, travel restrictions and advisories begin to ease and customer confidence begins to grow. We feel very optimistic about the future. With that, I will ask our operator to open up the call for a question and answer session. Shelby? As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. We do ask that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from Robin Farley of UBS. Great. Um, thank you for taking the question. Um, I know it's very difficult to get any visibility on the timing of a restart. I, I wonder if you could tell us when you mentioned your, your fuel hedges, you talk about you're adjusting it for forecasted fuel consumption. I wonder if you could kind of tell us what you're roughly thinking about for your fuel consumption as a way to sort of help us think about, you know, what, what that would look like versus a normal year. Um, and then also specifically sort of related to Alaska, too. I'm wondering if your fuel consumption assumptions for, for that market, too. Thank you. Well, thanks, Robin. And, and by the way, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting angle in trying to get us to uh, um, uh, provide uh, um, how many ships are we expect to have up and running in the, on the water. Um, so our, 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 on the fuel consumption side, just like everything else, it's, it's very fluid. Um, you know, and, and it will be based off of the timing on when we um, go back into service. So I, I don't have a specific number to guide you to, uh, though it was a creative way to ask it. Um, but, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, we'll disclose that um, as we know um, what the deployment will look like specifically and, and the ships that will come up and running. Okay. All right, maybe then just as a follow-up, since I, <laughs> I don't get my, my first one, um, just, a, just a clarification. Um, in, in the release, when you talked about the second half of 21 pricing, you said it's higher than 2019. And I just wanted to clarify, was that higher than second half of 2019? It doesn't specifically say that. Or did you just mean higher than 2019 overall? Because obviously it has a little bit of a different meaning. Yeah, we, we were specific around uh, two, the overall 2019, but it, it's a similar um, answer for the back half of 19. So, in other words, second half 21 pricing is above second half 19, specifically both with and without the future cruise credit? That's, that's correct. Oh, great, because that's an improvement, I think, since, since your last uh, quarterly call. So, okay, great. I will yeah, we, yeah, more. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit more, but I mean, we're we're very as as we said before. I mean, we are um, there. There is clear demand, um, and as we look at 2021, based off of the different scenarios we have in terms of resumption of service, um, you know, the, the the volumes that we see on a demand standpoint are um, are at least in our in our perspective uh, impressive. Okay, 
great. And I'll hop back in line. I've got more questions, but I will, uh, I'll get back in line. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Robin. Your next question is from Steve Wazinski of Cecil. Yeah, hey, guys. Good morning. Um, so, so, Jason, I guess the first question would be around the, the, the first half 22 booking commentary. And I'm not sure the, you know, the right way to ask this question, but, but can you help us think about how much of your, your first half 22 inventory is, is currently open for sale? And I, you know, I don't know if that is 100% or it's 50% or whatever that number is, but I'm trying to you know, really understand that pricing comparison relative to, to 19. I think there's some, there's some confusion out there with investors about you know, what, that, you know, what that looks like actually on a, on a pure like-for-like like basis, and hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, well, well um, most of our deployment is open uh, for, for the first half of 2022. Um, now, it is very early here in, in, the, in, the, in the booking stage. I mean, we're, you know, we're sitting here in the first quarter of, of 2021, and, and historically we don't really talk about 2022, but you know, what we're seeing um, continue on is, is our customers, there's a lot of pent-up demand um, for vacations, right? Um, you know, they're saving more. Um, uh, they've, they've, they've bypassed many of their vacations. Um, and so, you know, they're, you know, they're trying to eye out when, when we're going to return to service and they're going to be able to, to go and enjoy the vacations that they, that they had previously planned. Um, and so I think when you look at the first half of 2022, again, it's very, very early, the pricing that we're seeing um, relative to, you know, like for like for, nine, you know, for 19 um, shows uh, that, our, that, our, that our APDs are up with or without any application of future cruise certificates. Okay, understood. Um, and then second question, I guess, would be around your, your liquidity position, which, you know, again, right now still looks pretty solid on paper. But, uh, you know, Jay, you, you made somewhat of a comment, or at least I think you did, that says, you know, you're still looking at kind of, or you're taking proactive steps. So just trying to understand, you know, what those steps could mean moving forward. And, you know, kind of are you still evaluating any option possible out there, um, you know, over the near term? Yeah. Well, um, first off, we have a lot of options. Um, when, you know, so it's not just, you know, some options. You know, we have a very full quiver of um, um, options, um, both in the capital market and even non-capital market um, activities. Um, whether you know, we still have a lot um, we can access as, as it relates to our debt baskets. Um, obviously, we can you know, access equity and, and, and other instruments. Um, but you know, we are and we have been extremely methodical um, about our capital raises. Some of it's based off of the operating landscape. Some of it is being opportunistic and seeing how we, how we can you, know, you continue to focus on the balance sheet. Um, but you know, we will, you know, just continue to evaluate the situation, and and based off of that, we'll, you know, we'll look to you know, continue to be in a strong liquidity position, um, so that as we return out of this, uh, you know, our business can accelerate. Okay, gotcha. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Your next question is from James Hardiman of Wedbush. Hi, good morning. Um, so two questions for me. Um, I think you guys talked about on in, in some of the prepared remarks just how uh, much time was spent by the healthy sale panel trying to figure out how to sail in, in sort of a pre-vaccine world. Um, obviously, that's no longer the world in, in which we live in. So I, I'm just trying to figure out how the, the cruise experience is, what it's going to look like in 2021 uh, and maybe beyond. So I guess for starters, um, the, the whole notion of uh, a vaccine requirement on board, some ships on board, all ships, uh, maybe speak to that and, and, and maybe the CDC's willingness to, to let some ships sail earlier um, if, you know, you have a critical mass of people that have already been vaccinated. Um, I'll try to answer that. Um, uh, you're, you're right, the, um, the Healthy Sail Panels work um, and, and all of those discussions were pre-vaccine, and vaccine really does change it. We're, we're really in a, uh, an interim period where the vaccines are still relatively new. They're coming out amazingly quickly, but it still is going to take months uh, to get um, huge numbers of people vaccinated. Um, and so we and um, the CDC and, and governments around the world are looking at how that would change it. Um, and we don't have answers yet. 
Um, I think one of the things everybody's looking to see is uh, just how effective the vaccines are. Um, and people actually want to see that happening. And um, one of the nice things we have is we can look at the example of Israel where um, the vaccination level is one of the highest in the world. Um, and therefore they're able to make some very stati significant statistical correlations. And one of the things that you've seen coming out of there, for example, is that the, um, the, the number of people who uh, get the disease who have been vaccinated is the efficacy is as high or higher than the, than the uh, trials that were done. And this is now on larger numbers of people. So that makes it even more reliable. But more significantly, they're also saying the ability to prevent the disease from being serious in people is even better than that. So these are, um, in, the, in the history of vaccines in the world, these are really uh, exciting kinds of levels that give us all a lot of hope. But we really need to see it in practice. Um, and it's, it's really hard to say, while we're not yet at a point where enough people have been vaccinated that you could say, okay, you know, everybody on board will have been vaccinated, that sort of thing. Um, but it is something we think that the vaccine is, of course, the ultimate weapon. And um, the fact that it is coming out and beginning to come out so quickly and that the, that the pace of that is growing um, will be a basis for a new set of, of um, approaches. But we haven't, neither we nor the governments around the world nor the Healthy Sale Panel has yet uh, been able to define exactly what that'll look like. Got it. That's helpful. And then my second question uh, is maybe for Jason. Um, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around sort of the new revenue and margin profile of your of your post-pandemic fleet. Obviously, you've gotten rid of quite a few ships. Um, and so I, I don't know the best way to frame it, whether it be to, to talk about what, what the yields and or margins were on the ships that you got rid of, uh, or just looking back to sort of pre-pandemic margin levels of call it 19, 20% um, and sort of order of magnitude, what those could look like once we're back to quote unquote normal, but with a with a uh, significantly uh, newer and, and presumably more profitable fleet. Yeah. No, I, and I, I do appreciate the, the, the challenge, James, because we, you know, we, we obviously, um, it's still it's still early for us to kind of talk about what margins will look like as we come out. Um, you know, the the sale of Azamara, um, the you know, we've we've sold some of our older tonnage. Um, you know, the net of that is it will be it's 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 a it's a it's a very slight good guy on a yield standpoint. It will be a good guy on the cost standpoint because uh, you know the you know the ships were smaller, so spreading the spreading of costs were were um, not as efficient. Um, but you know, as an organization, um, we have and we continue to you know, take you know, take advantage of this opportunity to you know, analyze our costs um, and and find ways to be more efficient. So as we come out of this, um, we we have the ability to add on to those margins. Um, it's too it's still too early to talk specifically about you know, how much that will be. Um, but you know we're you know we're trying as I, I kind of describe it you know our, our goal is to kind of be in our in our our wedding weight um, as as we come out of this and um, and and then accelerate um, as we as we move back into service. Got it. And just just to clarify, you called out a couple good guys. There aren't any bad guys we should be thinking about in, in terms of the margin in a, in a post-pandemic world, correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily bad guys. Obviously, we will have return to service costs here as we ramp ourselves up, which could just make it look a little sure. bit lumpy in, in the beginning. Um, I also think it's important um, to note that, um, you know, besides for the ships that we have sold or the, or the brand that we have sold, we also have, you know, incredible new tonnage that is coming in into um, the, uh, our, our fleet. And so, as we know, those ships are um, the inventory mix is better. Um, they're much more cost efficient on a fuel perspective, um, and they deliver higher margins. Um, and so, uh, you know, all the ships in which you know, Richard had noted that are coming in here in the next couple of years, plus what we have um, on order, um, will also help us expand our margins further. 
Got it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Richard. Your next question is from Brant Montour of J.P. Morgan. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about Azamar quickly, uh, hoping you could give us some comments around the process there, uh, if it was competitive and, and, and how long you've been working on it, and then, and then shifting gears to maybe additional ship sales. What are the different factors you're assessing for potential future ship divestitures and, and, and sort of what are the flexibilities you have around that in your existing credit agreement? Yeah, sure. So on the on the Azamara sale, you know, um, really kind of through this whole process, you know, we have we have really tried to be opportunistic, you know, and strategic, and look at as we as we are today and as we will come out of this, how do we want to prioritize? Um, you know, where you know whether it's how we're investing or how we're supporting on our resource base. Um, this opportunity came our way here um, with Sycamore. Um, it gives Azamara an opportunity uh, to grow. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I think that, um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a great brand that we think, uh, you know, will we'll do quite well underneath this other, other, um, this other venture. Um, I think moving into, you know, other ship sales and so forth, you know, we remain opportunistic. Um, you know, I think we need to remember that pre-pandemic, all of these ships, um, you know, generated uh, quite a bit of cash flow. Um, and, and so it, you know, it needs to, you know, for us, typically the, the, the test on, on a ship is a little bit less, it's, it's a little bit less about, um, you know, the cash that we would receive. It's more strategic on whether we think this ship, um, with whether it's in its current state or through some moderate investment, um, is something that fits our brands um, or could fit another brand within our, within our, um, our, our um, our organization or, or even with our JVs. And that's, that's kind of how we look at it and, and I think we'll remain opportunistic. Okay, thanks for that, Jason. And then if I could just sit one more in here. Uh, for this summer um, in Europe where, uh, you know, I assume you don't need CDC certification to sail, but presumably, you know, a decent portion of your guests are coming from the U.S. and would have to, would have to fly over. I guess maybe just as things stand today for, for the summer sailing in the Med, could you just reframe Maybe the, the range of scenarios that, that, that could that could have that could play out there. Hi, Brent. It's Michael. Yeah, I mean, technically, the um, our operations in Europe are, are not subject to the CDC jurisdiction, but I think it, it's uh, fair to say there's an you know awful lot of Americans who do fly out to Europe to join our European products, particularly for Royal and Celebrity. Um, so nevertheless, we'll be guided by um, the protocols either through the Healthy Sale Panel or as they come from the European Union or the UK. So we know that the operations in some of the European countries, um, particularly Germany, Italy, have been ongoing for the past couple of months and the Canary Isles. And um, those protocols that have governed operations have basically been um, based on the um, Healthy Sale Panel or the, or the clear member policies and then overlaid with specific instructions by the National Health Authority. I think what we're going to see is very similar to what we're going to see in the United States, which is as we continue to see uh, infections decline and vaccines increase, then we're going to move to um, protocols that probably are some kind of hybrid between vaccines and testing. Um, we are fortunate in a way that we coming through the winter season, so it's incredibly low in terms of volume and revenue during the winter, but we're entering into the spring. And um, for the Royal Caribbean group, we have multiple ships that are currently deployed in the, into uh, European operations. So it's going to be subject to the guidance from the, either uh, European Union or the UK authorities, and we, we imagine that they'll be very similar to the guidelines that we'll get from the CDC. Does that does that help, or do you need more more color on that? Well, if you wanted to provide more, no, that that that's very helpful. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Your next your next question is from Jamie Katz of Morningstar. Hi. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. I guess I'd be curious to hear what um, changes maybe have been made to Quantum that we can implement. Um, domestically that, that might surface when the start sale begins. And then 
additionally, is there something uh, that you guys are doing differently, maybe just sort of geographically different, um, that leads you to believe that May 1 is a better start sale date than June 1, which Norwegian has put out there? Thanks. Hi, Jamie. It's Michael. Um, as Richard commented um, in his opening comments, we're really pleased with the performance of Quantum in Singapore. It's been um, an incredible learning experience for our company, and it's been a remarkable example of great collaboration between a you know a cruise company and the health ministry and the government of Singapore. So we've been operating now for close to three months. We've carried probably around 35,000 Singaporeans on ocean cruises. The customer satisfaction, ironically, is higher um, with our protocols than it was before our protocols, which is which is quite quite funny in a way. And our revenue has exceeded our expectations, both from a ticket and an onboard revenue uh, perspective. So the overall performance of our products has been really quite strong. It's subject to a series of protocols that, as you as you question, are probably very similar to a framework that we may be operating with in the future out of the US or Europe. But it's a changing landscape. So what we started with in Singapore in terms of protocols are already being reviewed. And there's um, in the coming weeks, we expect some of those protocols to be changed. For example, load factor constraint in the beginning of our Singapore operations was um, capped at 50%. Um, we're now in discussions about increasing that cap to 65% in the coming weeks. Um, and some of the testing regime has uh, changed. So one of the things that's come from quantum, well, two things. One is that operationally we've really begun to understand how we can work together with the health ministry to safely operate a, a large cruise ship uh, during the COVID times. And we've also gain from our investment in technology. So there, there are two technologies that have come from quantum that really are game-changing. One is the e-mustering, which completely transforms the whole process of uh, lifeboat mustering. And it's all done digitally through, through your iPhone or, uh, and an app. And the second is we've really developed technology for contact tracing using a combination of technologies. One of them is a tracelet, which basically each guest wears and can tell exactly how long and um, they've been in contact with everybody else who's wearing a tracelet. And then we have um, artificial intelligence connected into basically CTV cameras that use um, facial and body recognition to then uh, double check and verify contact tracing in the event that somebody did have COVID on board the ship. We've been fortunate that that hasn't happened, but that technology development is really, we think, groundbreaking and very sophisticated. And in our conversations that we had uh, the week before last with the CDC, um, they specifically asked us to share uh, that technology and, and what, what we've been doing in Singapore with them, which we've subsequently done. So um, there's a lot of lessons being learned. And um, I, think, I think ultimately, it, it will create a foundation for how we'll operate. But, but again, the landscape's changing quite significantly as well with the, with the vaccines and the infection rate. Thank you, Jamie. Sorry. Thank you. Your next question is from Stephen Grambling of Goldman Sachs. Hi, thanks. Um, perhaps I missed this in the intro, but as you've seen an improvement in the, the mix of new bookings, um, could you comment on what the, the demographics of the new bookings look like versus history as you've been marketing less? In other words, are you seeing any you know, change or bifurcation demand trends between older versus younger, new to cruise versus returning or by region? Um, Stephen, let me comment, and I think Jason will jump in as well. Um, w one of the things that we've seen um, really after we came out of the holidays early in January is a um, proportional increase in the number of guests booking who were 65 plus. And that has continued to increase. So as the weeks have passed, uh, our belief, we don't know if this is a fact, but our belief is, is that 65 plus are getting vaccinated then they're obviously becoming more comfortable with booking. And we're seeing that very much in our bookings from about January 
forward. So I think that's that's something that we think is um, is a major positive. And obviously, as the vaccines spread down into the population by age, we'll we'll see that probably uh, accelerate. And that's also true of Silver Sea, which I think even before the holidays started to see an uplift in bookings coming in based upon age uh, demographics. So that's um, we see that as a positive. And obviously, as this continues, um, you know we expect to see even more bookings coming in by, by every age category. Just a, just a few other things that I would, I would just add to it. Um, we've, we've also, you know, over the past year, we have seen um, a disproportional amount of our loyalty guests, as well as um, uh, experienced cruisers, um, as, part of, as part of the mix um, of, of bookings. Um, what we have seen more recently so it's not back to where it was pre-COVID. Uh, there has been an increase uh, in first accrues um, coming back in, into the space. Um, the, the, the other point that, that I would just add is, um, uh, and some of this I think is because people are being vaccinated and to Michael's point of 65 plus, um, but as the distribution or shots in the arm of, of, um, of our, of our um, um, the vaccines are, are being rolled out, um, we're, we're seeing that there's a pretty strong relationship to booking volumes um, and, and, and vaccines. Um, and so that is, that is um, I think, something to point out that, one, there are obviously there are people 65 and older who are getting the vaccine who are now becoming confident to travel. On the other side of it, it's also um, building confidence um, that we're getting you know, closer to the other side of this and people are beginning to, you know, to, you know, to realize that that that, that travel um, should be here um, sooner rather than later. And so I, I just want to make that point as well. Is is, is there seems to be a, a, a tight relationship to that? And just, just Stephen, just to add one one more comment that that surprises on our quantum bookings is that we saw an exceptionally high uh, number of new to cruise booking with quantum, which which surprised us. But that's that's a real positive. That's great to hear. As a follow-up on the balance sheet, Jason, how are you thinking about the appropriate net debt EBITDA level um, near-term and long-term as we think about a, a recovery path? Yeah, well, well you know, the near-term will, will really be based off of when we're able to return to service. Um, so it's, it's tough to kind of peg exactly um, um, you know, the, you know, the coordinates within a certain period of time. Um, you know, we are you know, extremely focused um, from the board down on getting back to pre-COVID levels as soon as possible. So on a balance sheet basis, that means for us to be three and a half times debt to EBITDA or better. Um, and, and uh, you know, obviously most of that is going to, if not all of that, is going to come from uh, the generation of cash from operations. Um, but, but we continue to look at, um, you know, that, that path um, as we get back into service here um, to try to get the balance sheet um, um, you know, back in, in, in a healthy shape. Got it. Thanks. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you. Your next question is from Ben Chaikin of Credit Suisse. Hey, how's it going? Um, I guess on on the booking side, did I catch? Did you guys say that January and February, or implied that January and February um, were up thirty percent versus November, December? So a sequential comment there. Um, I guess if that's correct, and then were yes, November and sure. December particular? Sorry, go ahead. you said that's correct. That that is, that is correct, Ben. And and of course, November and December were tough months because of of uh, you know just a, a incredible rise in cases in society. Gotcha. Okay. And then I guess then you saw the tailwind from normalization plus the sixty five plus comment you were kind of alluding to uh, in the previous question. Well, I think it's I think it's normalization uh, is 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 or, or or really you're seeing a a, a decrease. On, um, in, in cases, and you're seeing a, a you know, the, the rollout of the vaccines. But, but I, I do I, I wanted to bifurcate the point again on on um, the relationship um, um, you know, to the vaccines because it's not just obviously people 65 and over who've gotten the vaccines who are now focused on their travel, but I think it's also a stimulus of um, of, of confidence in the consumer. That they'll be able to travel soon again. So you know, we're also—it's not just an increase in 65 plus. We're seeing an increase in all the other demographics as well. 
Gotcha. That makes sense. That's super helpful. And then as it pertains to the CDC, I think the, if I'm not mistaken, I think the next step is to potentially get some technical instructions back. Um, I'm curious if you have any view on timing there. And then if not, maybe alternatively, some of the key questions you're hoping to, to clear up or get answered there. Yeah, hi, Ben. Uh, yeah, we've been in regular communication with the CDC, both at the, uh, with the maritime unit and at the executive level. And um, we're literally expecting the technical specifications any day soon. So they, it's an intergovernmental process between several agencies within the government that are reviewing the uh, technical specifications. But they've assured us that as soon as um, as soon as all of these things come together, they want to get us back into uh, operation. So we're just literally waiting. And I think, I think um, again, to, to our previous comments, I think our level of optimism is increasing as we see the infection rate decline so dramatically in the U.S. and the, the number of vaccines increasing. And, and um, so we're, we're waiting, and um, you know, hopefully we'll get them soon, and we can, we can start our trial sailings. And I, I think you may know that when we – as for volunteers for our trial sailings, we received over 250,000 volunteers. So there's plenty of people interested in cruising. Gotcha. That's great. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Your next question is from Asia Georgieva of Infinity Research. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my question. Um, and uh, just to follow up on Ben's question, uh, now with the change of guard at the CDC, uh, should we expect a more streamlined process, including vaccinations and the drop in terms of cases, uh, to where both you and all of us have more visibility in terms of um, how the process will evolve, uh, technical orders, et cetera? Hi, Asia. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think um, – our communication and dialogue with the CDC is, is, is productive. Um, you know, they're dealing with an incredibly challenging situation and environment. Um, when we have our discussions, it's, it's a relatively open process. And um, as, as they've explained to us and, and on, on many occasions, this really is about what's happening with the virus. And, um, you know, and they've, they've assured us on several occasions that when – these indicators really start to move in a very positive way, then they'll, they'll start working with us to get us back into operation. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. So I must admit every single day I go on the COVID USA chart on Google and see how the trend line is and it's just plummeting. So I, my sense is, is that we're getting closer and closer to, to, to good news. Michael, uh, has the CDC uh, offered any sort of a threshold uh, in terms of infection rates to where uh, they would be willing to loosen restrictions and provide more, more of a time frame, if you will, a schedule? Well, see, you know, I, I think um, they, like us, are looking at these statistics. And, um, you know, it's not just the absolute numbers um, there are the unknowns, how quickly the vaccine continues to roll out, um, how the variants um, will affect the numbers going forward. So uh, I think it's premature for them or for us to try and speculate on uh, what threshold the, the number has to be because it's so many variables. Um, I think every day we learn a little bit more, and um, I think we're more encouraged to see the really dramatic drop that we've been experiencing and the, the really nice rollout, uh, particularly in the United States and the UK, um, in, the, in the vaccine. Um, but I think it's, it's still too early for them or us to try and, and uh, pinpoint this is the threshold that, that uh, allows us to move, move forward. Thank you, Richard. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and thank you, Michael, as well. Thanks, Asia. Your next question is from Patrick Scholes of Truist Security. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, you've sold a number of ships, uh, ships and uh, brands so far. Uh, thoughts on uh, additional sales going forward? Hey, hey, Patrick. I, I, I mean, I, 
we, we remain um, opportunistic um, uh, in, in, in considering things. Um, as I, I commented earlier, that that for us, um, it's, it, it needs to, it's not about selling ships to get cash. It, it's about whether or not um, when we look at the investment in the ship or where the ship fits within the fleet, whether or not it's, it fits strategically within the brand um, or, could, or could fit in one of our other brands. Um, so, you know, we, you know, we continue to evaluate um, 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 opportunities that come our way, but, uh, you know, we don't have any specific plans or a specific goal uh, in mind here. Okay. Thank you. And then just a, a, a quick follow-up, Jason. Uh, housekeeping, um, what was the year-end share count? Um, let me see if I have it. I don't have that right in front of me. Um, let me see. I might... No, we can we can get uh, we can we can get right back to you right after. Um, okay. That would be that would be great. Yeah. Thank you. You got it. Your next question is from Paul Golding of Macquarie Capital. Great, thanks so much for taking my question. Um, so, just a couple on the uh, on the capacity front. Uh, have you summarized the aggregate cut to supply in what you've announced—the three ships cut and the uh, Azamara fleet—and then uh, as a follow-up. Uh, Given the quantum uh, uh, modifications and the insights you've gleaned from that, uh, has anything changed in your view on lead time around once you're you're ready to get the fleet back in the water, what that lead time might be uh, if you have to make modifications, et cetera? Thanks so much. All right. Well, let me let me take the first one, and then I'll, I'll pass it um, to Michael in terms of um, just talking about our lead time for ramp up of service. Um, but you know, if you if you consider Azamara and you consider um, the Majesty and Empress, which are the two ships that we sold, uh, that's about a five percent impact on our on our capacity. Um, so just to provide you those numbers. Great. Thanks. Hi, on the, sorry, let me just um, follow up on the second part of that question with regards to um, bringing our, our ships back into operation with, with regards to our um, learned lessons from uh, quantum. We, we've been, I mean, as you can imagine, we've been working on return to service for many, many months, and we have multiple teams who've been working on all of the logistics and operations of this, and of course, all of the lessons that we've been learning from quantum have been applied to the whole corporation in terms of planning and logistics. So I think, um, you know, there's a lot of variables and a lot of dynamics in returning a fleet to operation, but we've obviously been doing it for many, many decades in terms of bringing new ships to life. Um, and we put a lot of energy now behind uh, ensuring that we understand how and what we need to do to bring our ships back. One comment I'd like to make which I think is kind of interesting and it's related to bringing our ships back and that is our uh, crew members. Um, we recently sent a survey to uh, our entire crew uh, database of around 70,000 employees and we had 32,000 responses within 12 hours and subsequently within a couple of days we've had 98% uh, of all of our crew respond. And we asked them a couple of questions. We asked them, um, are, they, are they planning on returning to work with us? And the, the unanimous response was yes, we can't wait to come back. We spoke to them about vaccines and the probability that they will be required to be vaccinated to work on the ships. And what did they think about that? 98% of the crew were completely in favor of that. And we also learned that 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 over 4,000 of our crew have already been vaccinated at home. So that's another important element of return to service is the crew. And um, I think we were very encouraged by the results of the survey. And it literally was last week, late last week. So just wanted to give you that extra nugget of information. Thank you. Thanks so much. Your next question is from Vince Seidel of Cleveland Research. Great, thanks for taking my question. Um, curious on your thoughts longer term about occupancy. Uh, do you think you'll get back to pre-COVID levels? Are you seeing anything in the bookings data about consumers 
um, appetite for interior cabins, anything related to maybe spacing of crew that you have to consider going forward. And, and with all those considerations, has that maybe changed or informed the way that you're building your new ships uh, and, and the layout there? It's uh, a, a great question. Um, one thing we saw on Quantum was that uh, uh, outside rooms sold uh, very quickly. And of course, we, we put premiums on those rooms. And so you can see that people were, were considering that or thoughtful of that. Um, we know that in the beginning, uh, when we do start up, depending upon the environment, that there will be you know, protocols in place with regards potentially with birthing of crew, et cetera. So that, that um, you know, may present some challenges. But we don't see it as permanent. We see it as transitional. And um, um, so I think, I think in the beginning, we may see more focus on uh, outside inventory than inside. But there's no really significant dynamic that's that's in front of us right now, and and we do definitely see it as transitional. And and in terms of the question of returning to our pre-COVID load factors, um, you know, we we obviously don't know, but I think our expectation is is once we go through the transitional phase that we will be returning to our uh, pre-COVID uh, load factors. That that's helpful, okay. and then. Uh, Unrelated follow-up for Jason related to debt. Um, did you mention the debt debt capacity remaining? Uh, maybe maybe I missed that. I think as of August you said three billion, and I think you've utilized 1.3 since then. Um, and then uh, I believe that the old uh, debt uh, maturity schedule called for about 1.3 billion of paydown in 21, and I think the most recent number is 04. So if you could. Uh, is that correct? And could you talk about kind of what changed? Yeah, sure. So um, as it relates to our debt basket, um, our, our current availability is, is $2 billion under, under, under those indentures. Um, and, uh, and, and Vince, you are right. Um, uh, we did talk about that our, our liquidity, our, our, our maturities for 2021 is $400 million. Um, as, we, as we noted um, late last week, um, we did secure um, debt holidays uh, from our export credit agencies um, uh, for the vast majority of, of, of what was um, available, and we should have the balance of that closed out here hopefully in the next couple of weeks. And, and based off of those two things, we will um, um, have, have our, our maturities for 2021 will be about $400 million. Thank you. Your final question is a follow-up from Robin Farley of UBS. Oh, great. Thank you for um, letting me hop in with a, a last question. Um, just to, um, uh, two things. One is um, you, you mentioned that the next royal ship to be back in service would likely be outside the U.S., and I'm just wondering, is that sort of more likely to be maybe Australia? I'm just thinking about kind of where your sourcing comes from the market, you know, where you can sort of fully source a ship as opposed to, to Europe, um, that it just kind of thinking if, if that's more likely to be Australia. And then uh, the other question, and this is very minor, but I was just curious with the sale of the Empress and Majesty. Those were ships that my understanding, I, I thought those were the only Royal Caribbean ships that fit into the port in, in Havana in Cuba. And I know that's like way out on your radar screen, but I, are there other ships that could potentially return to that market if, um, if that were to reopen? Thanks. So, Robin, great question on, on um, Cuba deployment. And, of course, you know, when, when, when Jason called us and said, I think, I think we've got a buyer for these two ships, um, it, it was the very first question we all went and double-checked, and, and we're okay. So we do have um, a ship that uh, – ships that will fit into, into uh, Cuba if that should come back. So we, we're okay there. Um, with regards to ships starting in Australia or China um, or Europe or elsewhere, for example, um, we literally are in discussions globally around the world with different governments and looking at, at where they are with COVID and vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the point is, is that it, 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 there's a lot of opportunity that's starting to open up globally in terms of what's occurring with um, 
COVID, and so we've, we, we are in discussions around the world. One of the products that we opened, this is not a product that's, that um, you know, would be the next product for Royal Caribbean to open up, but we, we opened um, Grandeur of the Seas, home porting in Barbados, sailing out of Barbados in November of 21 on a mix of seven and 14 night cruises into the Southern Caribbean and um, really focused into the North American, American, Canadian, and the UK market. And it, it has ex- exceeded our expectations quite significantly. I mean, we literally sold 25% of our load factor within, within a couple of weeks. So back to Jason's point, there's a lot of demand we think is building up um, globally for, for vacations and, and cruise and for Royal Caribbean. So, you know, we're quite kind of optimistic about where this is heading. Great. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Robin. For the color. Okay. Thank you, Robin. Okay. okay uh, thank you, um, everybody, and Shelby, for your assistance with the call today. And uh, we thank all of you for your participation and interest in the company. Uh, Corolla will be available for any follow-ups you might have, um, including the share count. Um, which which I'll pass along. Um, And I I wish you all a very great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.